0: Reading from the book of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the world.
1: I want to thank you all for welcoming me in the space today, uh, as Reverend McClendon named. I'm a relatively newcomer to Christianity, and I have really been blessed with being in community with people who take seriously uh, seeing and hearing people for their whole selves. And I can't think of a more wonderful place to preach for the first time than this place. So thank you. Um, this summer, I lived in an intentional interfaith community a few miles outside of New York City. And on the first Friday of Ramadan that summer, uh, some of the members of the community were invited to participate in Juma prayer at a local mosque in the area. Uh, and for many of us, this was exciting not only because of the opportunity to worship, but because of the chance to meet Imam Bayrock who is this man beloved in the community for his deep love of God and profound service to those uh, particularly experiencing homelessness in New York City. And eager to take in the wisdom of this seasoned faith leader, I approached the imam after Juma prayer and asked a question. I asked, how do you make sense of the fact that everything happens for a reason. After hearing my question, the imam paused, laughed, and then said, how should I know? (laughs) I'm too overwhelmed by the fact that everything happens. I'm too overwhelmed by the fact that everything happens. We are taught that faith is resilience. It's something deep within that affirms theological truths in spite of all odds. Many of us, myself included, find power and comfort in the ability to witness faith in others and faith in ourselves. We look in awe when resolute convictions of God transcend earthly realities of violence and oppression. We see faith as resistance in those who face persecution and even death, in the words and actions of leaders like Martin Luther King, Dorothy Day, Oscar Romero. In our own lives, faith reminds us that we are held and heard by God, that we have a responsibility to see God fully by seeing people fully. If faith is resilience and resistance, perhaps it's easy to believe that doubt must be weakness. From this lens, doubt is denial of God and submission to the uncertain. It's an act of complacency rather than an act of agency. Through the narratives of our mentors and preachers and Sunday school leaders throughout the years, we have been told over and over and over again that doubt is something we should try our best to avoid. So, when Imam Barak responded to my question to that day, I didn't know what to make of it. On one hand, he was a man who with incredible faith in God and in people, dedicating his entire life to serving those on the margins. And yet, this was someone who when faced with the prospect of a cosmic explanation to life, had laughed. Someone who was reluctant about the earthly importance of God's will. How do we make sense of this kind of doubt, a doubt that is grounded in a deeper sense of faith? When many of us think about doubt in Christianity, we may refer to the story of Thomas, a disciple of Jesus who, despite the testimonies of his fellow apostles, could not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until he could see and feel the wounds on the resurrected body. Those who have grown up in the church know how this story goes. Jesus presents himself to Thomas a week later, urging him to feel the holes in his hands and in his sides. Thomas then relinquishes his doubt and believes, and Jesus blesses those who, unlike Thomas, can believe without seeing. It's easy to view the Thomas narrative as a lesson in what not to do. Often we see Thomas's lack of belief as representative of the lack of belief in us all, which we can resist by following the calls of Jesus. But perhaps there is more to this story. The first time we hear Thomas speak in the Bible is in the story of Lazarus. When Jesus declared that he would return to Judea in order to heal the ailing Lazarus, the disciples responded, Rabbi, the opposition wants to stone you, and yet you want to go back? When Jesus persisted, it was Thomas that urged the other disciples, Let us go, too, so that we may die with Jesus. Let us go, too, so that we may die with Jesus. Thomas' first spoken act in the Bible is an act of solidarity. Despite the potential for death, Thomas stands alongside Jesus, vowing to face the uncertainties and dangers that Jesus faces. Surely, when Jesus is murdered, Thomas must feel the pang of injustice. How could this happen to someone who stands for such goodness? How could one inflict so much suffering on another person? Perhaps when Thomas asks to see the wounds on Jesus' body, it is because he cannot understand the resurrection until he can try to feel and understand Jesus' suffering. Perhaps for Thomas, a man committed to solidarity, belief can't be felt without action, without seeing and feeling firsthand. Perhaps Thomas's doubt comes from a place of seeking to be closer to God rather than from a place of rejection or separation. Another narrative of doubt in the Bible comes from the story of Sarah in the latter years of her life. When God reveals to Abraham that Sarah will soon be pregnant and have a son, Sarah overhears the conversation and laughs how in my old age am I supposed to have a child? In turn, God acknowledges Sarah's laughter and declares, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? In this story, Sarah's doubt comes to us from a place of laughter. Disbelief is the means in which Sarah feels the near ridiculousness of God's miracles, Actions which defy the realities of our everyday. In response, God affirms and celebrates the strangeness of God's own inexplicable power. Sarah's doubt is not a turn away from God, but a natural response to being exposed to God's incomprehensibility. There's much we can learn from our own doubts. Perhaps, like Imam Bayrock, you feel overwhelmed by the vastness and complexity of our own world. Perhaps, like Sarah, you are taken aback by something in your life that is absurd and without explanation. Perhaps, like Thomas, you feel the pain of God's children and the pain in your own heart, And wonder how could it be possible for such suffering to be transformed into anything good? Regardless of where you find yourself today, know that your doubts are sacred. Know that there is transformative power in saying, I don't know. And know that through your journey, regardless of what you believe or not believe in any moment, You are never separated from God's unconditional grace. Let us pray. Loving God, we come to you with heavy hearts and minds, alive with your questions. May we never forget the worthiness which was breathed into our enduring bodies, electrifying our souls so that we may see your face in our many siblings. Empower us to laugh and to shake our heads and to ask and to ask again. Teach us to embrace the I don't know, which is full of sacred, active potential. In your name, the name given to the broken and to the whole, to the prophet and to the silenced, we say amen.